Well, thank you for joining us this time on the Leading Life Change podcast. Today, we're excited to be joined by our friend Alex Bryant, who runs Alex Bryant Ministries and really is focused on reconciliation. And we're excited to jump into this conversation. Thanks for having me, my man. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your ministry does, and uh, yeah, just your heart in uh, teaching people the importance of reconciliation. Yeah, so I am an Assemblyside minister, um, specifically. I am a U.S. missionary chaplain for racial reconciliation. So my wife and I, we've been at this. I've been in the Sims of God minister since about 2004. And so we, we've been on staff at a couple churches. And in about 2019, we started our own ministry, Alex Bryant Ministries. We exist to reconcile people unto God, ourselves, and each other through written, spoken, and media content. And so... Now we are chaplains. We have been for about three years, and we just travel around spreading the message of reconciliation. Love it. Love it. And I'm sure that in that time of ministry, you know, God shows you the importance of reconciliation and how really it plays such an impact in people encountering the hope of Christ. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, our whole motto is reconciliation changes everything. And we take it from 2 Corinthians. We have been reconciled unto God and he's called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And so that means that we're supposed to first and foremost lead people to him. That's, you know, reconciliation. We say we exist to reconcile people unto God. That's salvation. And then ourselves, that's the discipleship process. I'm a, I'm a minister. My wife and I both, I'm ordained. She's a licensed minister. And we know that God's called us to uh, make disciples, not just converts, but Mm -hmm. to help people grow in their walk with him. And then, so that's the second part. And then each other. And so we're a biracial couple. So we kind of jumped into this because of the, we saw the differences in races. We see the world from a different lens. You know, she's a little bitty, old, small, pretty white girl, and I'm a big, bald, beautiful black man. And so, um, you know, we, we, we've been married for 28 years. We have five biracial kids and we see the world differently. And so we want to spread the message of reconciliation. So racial reconciliation, marriage reconciliation, family reconciliation, we truly believe um, reconciliation changes everything. It'll change our life. It'll change our, our, our eternities, everything. That's so good. And even, even that scripture that you shared from second Corinthians of us being reconciled to Christ. And so now we are called, that's not just certain people. It's all believers. All believers. When we are reconciled to Christ, that's what we're called to. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing, like, you know, we, we are not just called to make converts. I mean, we are called to the people that are in this world that don't know Jesus, um, you know, whether you want to call them heathens or whatever, not in the rude word, but they are people that don't know Jesus. I call them pre-Christians. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to help them become reconciled to Jesus just like we have been reconciled unto him. And that's, that's our goal. So with whatever God gives us, with whatever um, tools and resources, with our skills, with our treasure, it's all about using it to help reconcile people unto God. So that's, that's what we believe. That's so good. And I know, I mean, the heart, of, the heart of pastoral ministry, too, is to really help people take those steps in the discipleship process to where they are living their life following God and, and showing the love of Jesus to Amen. others. And so you get, to, you get to continue to walk that out. And, uh, you know, your story is amazing. But why don't you just tell us a little bit of, you know, what those steps looked like in 2019, right? You yep. said when yep. you launched into this very intentional ministry of, uh, of 
teaching people about the importance of reconciliation? Like how did how did that process play out? Yeah. So, you know, I'm gonna go back a couple years if you don't yeah. mind, Nate. We were we were you know, we my wife and I just felt called to ministry, you know, mm-hmm. to make disciples. That's really what we were doing. We didn't care what context it was in, whether it was inner city, rural, whatever. We didn't we didn't care. You know, we just wanted to introduce people to Jesus. We did yeah. we were doing college and young adult ministry, we've done youth ministry, we've done um she's been the program director of a teen challenge. So we just wanted to make disciples. And so going back a couple of years in 2014, we found ourselves, we were leading the St. Louis Dream Center for Joyce Meyer Ministry. We worked for her and um, we had a church of about 600 people and I was a pastor of it, but we also had a dream center. So every day about a thousand people would come for something, food, clothing, showers, whatever. They were mainly inner city. And we happened to be doing that when Ferguson hit. Mike Brown, hands up, don't shoot. And we're five minutes from there. So naturally, they were calling all the clergy in town in St. Louis to come and help keep the peace between the people and the police. And so we saw it firsthand. I mean, for those 11 days of riots, I'm there helping keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And after that happened, the city was just so segregated and black people were mad at white people. And, and we just found that our work there had come to an end. Our family was facing persecution. Just we weren't getting stuff done there. The city was just frustrated. Racism divided it. So we, we moved on. We were in Kansas City, and that's when five police officers were shot in 2016. They were shot and killed. And I'm very pro-police. I got cousins right now who are police officers in Illinois. My uncles have been police. I have a brother-in-law that was a sheriff. And so we love police. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I don't want to see some reform. I mean, there's there's some of the stuff that needs to be looked at and evaluated. And so... But when those police officers were shot, we made a video, my family did, it went viral. Um, 50 million views on Facebook, and the message was, it's not black versus white, it's not the people versus police, it's dark versus light. We believe that the devil has been using the sin of racism to try to divide us and distract us from doing what God calls us to do, which is to spread the gospel. You know, I expect non-Christians to be frustrated about racism, I do. Because they don't know the light. They don't know truth. First John 1, 5 through 7 says, we know that God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to be in the light, but we don't have love for one another, if we don't have fellowship with one another, then we're liars. Because the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin and causes us to have fellowship with one another. Um, t- Paul's talking to Christians. He's not talking to the world. So Christians who are claiming to be in the light, we have to remember, you know, um, we have to have fellowship with people and that fellowship is so we can introduce them to Jesus. So that's, that's what our ministry is all about. That's what, that's what we do. We're reconciling people unto God, ourselves, each other. Well, and what a great, I mean, what a great approach. I mean, and just the, the, just the organic way that it came about. I mean, obviously a lot of tragedy wrapped up into it, but what you said just hits it so square between the eyes that the devil has used the sin of racism to bring division yeah, and he will capitalize on everything that he can to bring division, uh, you know, between the church and the people that need Jesus and between the church. Yeah. You know, and I've seen it firsthand. I share a story. We wrote a book about this. So we did this video. It's called let's start again. You can see it on Facebook. Um, it, um, it's called, um, if you, if you like go into Facebook and type in, um, I will not be, I have no words, but I will not be silent and you'll see the video. But um, so from that, we that was in 2016, we end up turning it into a book called Let's Start Again, a biracial couple's view on race, racial ignorance and racial insensitivity. But I share a story in there. When I was pastoring in Florida, we moved into a new neighborhood. My wife and I had been married for a few years and we had two young kids, mixed kids. 
And we moved into this, you know, middle, upper middle class white neighborhood in Florida. A lot of, you know, elderly retired people. And the guy across the street when we first moved in, he just didn't, he just seemed to be a grumpy mug. He didn't want to talk to us. He was just seemed to be a curmudgeon. And I tried to say hi to him. He just give me the look like, oh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed, and I, I mean, quickly, I was like, I know what the problem is. He doesn't like black people. Sure. And I was like, he, and he probably definitely doesn't like that this black guy is with this white girl with these little kids. So I'm like, kids stay out of his yard. Don't talk to him. He doesn't want to be around us. So we don't want to be around him. And Nate, I'm going to tell you year two went on year three, year four, year five. I never had, to, I, I never tried to make contact with this guy or even talk to him because I just knew he was racist. I just knew it. Mm -hmm. And I remember even walking around my neighborhood, just doing prayer walks and praying for different people. I never prayed for him because you know why he's a racist. Mm -hmm. And one year after we'd been there for five years, I just saw that he started to drop weight and I knew, I knew it was going on. The Holy spirit prop put it in my spirit. He has cancer and he, and he, and the Holy spirit starts saying, I want you to go talk to him, but I just wasn't going to because he's a bad neighbor. This guy's a racist, bad neighbor. I'm not talking to him, you know, and I'm a pastor, you know? <laughs> and so finally the Holy spirit kind of said to me one night, are you going to, you going to obey me or not? And I went over begrudgingly and I talked to him and man, he was so open. He was, and I just like, Hey, Notice you're losing weight. What's going on? You know, not even trying to be nice. He's like, I got cancer. He's a chain smoker, so it didn't surprise me. And then I just started to feel a little bit bad, like, you know, and started talking. He was really warm, really open, but just didn't want to talk much. And so finally I'm like, hey, man, do you mind if I pray for you? I'm a pastor. And then Nate, he goes, I know you are. One of my friends mm. goes to your church. I'm like, oh, then you feel bad. You know, <laughs> you know, like, dang. How many years has it been? I know, dude. And yeah. so finally, man, when I left that night, I went back across my street and, mm. and I just knew there was only one bad neighbor and it was me because I presumed he was racist, which he had never, never given me any reason to believe that. But I just, you know, he was, he wasn't as friendly as I thought he should be. And I just presumed, oh, it's because he's racist. He doesn't want a black guy in here. And that wasn't the case at all. And his name was Skip. And I wasted a lot of years not not witnessing to him. And, you know, finally when I saw that he had cancer. And so I, I would love to give you a great ending to that story, but he ended up dying about five weeks later, and I never mm -hmm. had a chance to share Jesus with him. And I, I just knew I didn't want to ever let that happen again because I think somebody's racist. The devil tries to use racism to distract us, mm -hmm. to divide us, to keep us at each other's throats. And so not not for me anymore. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Wow. Well, yeah, and that and that affects your approach. That affects your approach yeah. to ministry now. And if, if you think that some, and as a black person or any person of color, if you perceive someone or think someone is racist, you don't have anything to do with them. Sure. And so, a lot of times, we just think we're just presuming race when it's not really there, and that that puts animosity in our hearts, and it it stops us from spreading the gospel. Um, in our book, let's start again. I talk about. Um, I go into the history of racism and like even, so for example, when Jesus has his encounter with the lady at the well, um, that was really a story about racism because remember the, um, the Jews, they were racist towards the Samaritans yeah. because the Samaritans were half breeds. Yep. When the Assyrians and the Babylonians came in, they intermarried with the Jews and then what was left was the Samaritans. They were half breeds. And so the Jews, a Jew in Northern Israel wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They'd go around Samaria mm -hmm. South and then back um, into Jude, um, Jerusalem to worship because they didn't want to walk through Samaria. And that went on for a hundred years. Yeah. So when Jesus came and had that encounter, he was actually bringing the gospel, the devil was causing animosity and racism in the hearts of the Jewish people to not even spread the gospel of salvation to the um, Samaritans for a hundred years until Jesus came. And so it's nothing new. The devil has been using racism and, you know, to, to try to stop us from spreading the gospel. That's what we as Christians are called to do 
to go and make disciples of all nations. So. Yeah. That's why I think a voice like yours is so important, even into today's like climate that the society is in. It's so important to have open conversation about this and to call it what it is, you know. And so really when we start to have those open conversations and really address the the issue and how Satan has a plan behind it all and how sometimes it can be veiled by something else. Yeah. But uh, but when we start to recognize that we can address it and, and start to equip and teach people on how to address it. And so I know, again, that's a huge part of your ministry, but yeah. what are... What are some ways that you encourage people to be intentional in the way that they live their life so that they can, you know, they can, they can share the gospel and kind of overcome some of those boundaries? Yeah. You know, first thing is recognizing that this is a a plan for the devil. Mm -hmm. He wants to distract us, to divide us, to have Christians mad at each other and, and, and segregated by our race. It doesn't matter what color your race is. We are Christians. And again, if there's a non-Christian that may be racist or they may not be or perceived, I expect non-Christians to do what non-Christians are going to do. But we have to recognize and acknowledge that this is a this is a trick from the devil. That's first and foremost. Second thing, um, we have to be praying. We have to pray for reconciliation. We have to pray for unity um, and pray for opportunities um, to just interact with anyone, no matter what race, color, you know, um, nationality they are. That's the second thing. So that helps us to be open. That keeps our hearts right. Um, third thing is I am looking and I, I challenge people to be men and women of Issachar. If you remember, I think it's um, in um, first Chronicles, I think it's chapter 12. Um, you know, there, there's the, when David was establishing his throne, you know, he said that you know, there were men that were coming from Benjamin to help him establish it. And they were warriors and soldiers from all the different tribes of, you know, Benjamin and, you know, Ephraim or whatever. But then it says in there, I think it's first um, Chronicles 12, 32, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that because I don't have my Bible <laughs> in front of me, but I should have. But it says from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 men. They were chiefs. They knew they understood the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. And I think we need men and women of Issachar today who are able to see the times that are able to see that the politicians and the media is trying to stir up race. The politicians do that to kind of control us because they they know that if they can segment us out, they can get our votes. Right. You know, that's what they want to do. And the media, Mm -hmm. it's so they can make money. It's clicks. If, if there's a story about race, they know they're going to get people mad and upset and emotional. And so, but they're trying to use that to stir us up. We need men and women of Issachar who are able to understand what's going on and they know what we should do. We need wise men and women that are able to see through the plan and to continue to focus on unity, peace, love, forgiveness. Those are the things that it's going to take in order for reconciliation to happen. And it, I believe that it has to start with Christians. Yeah. You know, God's called us with our ministry to equip, to encourage, to motivate, to inspire Christians to do the hard work of reconciliation. You know, there are offenses. There are, there still are a few racist people out there. Let's just call it what it is. You know, whether it's, you know, um, black and white, whether it's, you know, um, you know, minorities like Native Americans or whether it's, you know, Muslim Americans, there are racist people. And I mean, that just is what it is. But we need Christians to be able to to step above that, to rise above it, to not reciprocate that hate, that that racism, but to be able to forgive people and to be able to continue to love. We we can't get defensive. You know, we can't walk around with chips on our shoulders like and be a bad neighbor like I was in that time in Florida. <laughs> we need people that are going to um, continue to show love, that are going to continue to show peace and unity so that um, we can show that we're Christians by the love, you know, yeah. so that people see us being different and they want what we have. 
And then that way we're able to give them the gospel of Jesus. So that's the plan. That's so good. So good. And so true that it does have to start with Christians and for us to really embrace that calling it is. Um, and that commission to, to, to be that to this world. You know, I, I mean, we've heard that example before. I've heard it many times from preachers of we want to be thermostats, not thermometers, yeah. right? We want to be the ones that set the temperature not in the room. It. And especially in our culture, we have the opportunity to approach it with intentionality yeah. and have intentional conversations so that we can start to suppress the plan of the devil. Absolutely. And, uh, and, it, and it starts with us living our lives with intentionality and conviction. That's good, man. And, you know, and then it's the little stuff. Being involved with people um, that don't look like you, that yeah. don't have the, whether it is, you know, race, ethnicity, or even like socioeconomic you know, I mean, yeah. there's this, the, the world wants to divide us. There's a plan now to, to put everybody in their little segments, their little groups, you know, and, um, and we have to look past that. We have to look for ways to be in other people's worlds that, that normally, um, that, that where we aren't, the world calls it the inter intersectionalities, you know, because that's what they do. They divide us in our tribes. Christians should be the ones that are able to go into any group, any tribe, any, you know, any socioeconomic group and yeah. love people and have a relationship with people. And those people should go, man, there's something different about that guy, <laughs> yeah. Nate. You know, he's the, the, his love, his smile. I want to be around him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're going to, whether when the Holy Spirit gives us an opportunity to share him or if it comes up with a need they have. I just had a guy, um, I've known him for, I don't know, about a year and a half now. And um, he's a young man. And he was texting me the other night at 10 o'clock at night, just like, you know, and, and it opened just about, man, my life sucks, you know, and he, he doesn't think he's worthy of prayer. He doesn't think he's worthy of God, but it opened up a door and I started to, you know, texting back. I tried to call him. He didn't want to talk, but he's like, well, man, you know, maybe another time we will. So we just have to look for those opportunities to spread the gospel. Yeah. You know, for me, uh, a lot of the ways that I encourage other leaders and my approach to discipleship and with people is I always say that discipleship happens through relationship yeah. and really reconciliation happens through relationship. Yeah. And we see that reconciliation very much was the work of Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and with it being the, the work that we're called to, we can look at the way that he engaged in relationship, the way that he didn't have those barriers up, yeah. you know, just like you're talking about how we have to, we have to be the ones that are able to step into any room, any room. and love people love, love people. Yeah. And then, uh, through that relationship and that building and development of relationship of them just knowing, Hey, we, we love you because God loves you. Yeah. You said it. I mean, it's, it's the work of Christ. We, and again, I'm going back to Corinthians, second Corinthians five. Yeah. We have been reconciled under Christ because of what Jesus did His work on the cross. And he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. Um, we're imploring you be reconciled to Christ. Yeah. So Alex, I know that you guys have another book coming up. Has is it released now? Yeah, yeah, it's it's called Man Up. It's a guide to godly masculinity. So in a lot of the work that we've been doing and as we're traveling around and speaking and talking about racial reconciliation and stuff, I've noticed that you're hitting on some of these issues and other people are like, oh, they don't like that. You you need to be quiet about some of that stuff. Reconciling people into God, ourselves, and each other. And we talk about theological issues that society is grappling with. Um, you know, and, and now they've kind of landed in a political world. And, and so I reject that, like the voice of men, you know, reconciling families, where's the place of a man in a home um, right now, the pendulum has swung from, you know, you've, you, I, I realized that when I was young, I'm a little bit older than you, I think, Nate, so <laughs> I'm 50, but so 51 actually. 
And I can remember when women were treated less than in society. Sure. You know, um, but now we've been, the pendulum swung all the way to the other side and we're told that our masculinity is toxic. Mm-hmm. And so you should be quiet. And they're trying to take our voice so that we don't speak up about, you know, the way that families are, or about um, issues of even things like the way that kids are supposed to be reared or if kids are even supposed to be born. Mm-hmm. Abortion. They want us yeah. to be quiet as men. You don't have a voice. It's a woman's body. It's her choice. And so I reject that. And so I talk about um, what's, what does it look like to be a godly man? And um, I know specifically when I first started writing this book, it was um, for the minority community. I don't have, I, I know what it's like to not have a real dad. My, my real dad's been in prison, you know, oh, more than half my life and wasn't really around. My mom and dad were 15 and 16 when they had me. And so, um, you know, mom left me with my grandma. She's the one that raised me until I was about nine or 10. And my mom got, a guy got married and that guy became my stepfather and he was the dad I knew, but I, I know what it's like to have dad issues. And so, you know, my wife and I have five kids, and so four boys and a little girl. And I wanted to, so I was just thinking, like, what do I want them to know about being a man? And I believe that it takes a man to show a man how to be a man. And so we wrote this book, Man Up. It's a guide to godly masculinity. It's out, alexbryant.org. Um, you can pick that up. And um, it's, you know, really, uh, I say we go from toxic masculinity um, to being, you know, the men that God's created us to be. Yeah, and it's an important message that needs to needs to be out there. I believe that. I do believe that, you know, you know, because, you know, I think that God, well, I don't think, I know that God has a plan for our families. Yeah. And I do believe that women want men to be the men that God's called them to be, to be strong in every way, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, socially. And we don't have to, um, to downgrade or to, or to, um, you know, to, to make women less than to be the men that God called us to be. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up, they, they used to put this battle of the sexes against, you know, mm-hmm. which, which one's better men or women. And, and it made men believe that we're better than women or, and then it made women kind of vie for, well, we're better than you yeah. and I can do everything. And, and young girls are taught they can do everything a man can do. It's just not true, but neither can a man do everything a woman can yeah. do. But here's the reality of it. Both sexes can do everything that God says they can do. Come on. And we complement each other. And so that's what this book's all about. It's, um, you know, it's from um, um, 1 Kings chapter 2 when King David said to his son Solomon, I'm about to die. I want you to be strong, um, obey the Lord's commands, walk in obedience to him, and then you will prosper. And so I say mm. um, manning up requires f- um, f- four things to prosper. First, you need to be strong. Um, then you got to be observant of the Lord's commands. You got to be obedient. You have to endure and then you prosper. So man up and it's good for our families. It's good for our communities. It's good for our churches. So they all kind of go in there. It's reconciling families. That's what that book is all about. So good. So good. You know, we realize that, that clarity and the next steps that we need to take come from revelation. And so when we have those conversations and, and we're really like, touching those issues that are so needed to be talked about. You know, my, my prayer and my hope is that that revelation comes and that it can change the trajectory of lives. Amen. You know, and so a voice like yours, again, is so, so amazing to have and these books and it's just influencing a, a culture that needs it so heavily from the church and from a perspective and approach of God's love for the world. Amen. That's the goal, you know, um, when we, when God called us to start our own ministry, alexbryant.org, it's my wife and I, you know, we sought after him for about eight months. Like, okay, what's the plan? And we wanted to get it right. We wanted our mission. We wanted our vision just right. And um, that's where we know that the Lord had us settle on reconciling people unto God, salvation, 
ourselves. That's the discipleship process. Some of the inner healing. My wife has a her master's in counseling, and so um, ourselves and then each other. You know, so once we're reconciled with God, that's getting it right the first time, mm-hmm. and we have to be on the path of growing. And then we can start to t- turn it outward to be reconciled with other people, whether it's the races, um, family situations, you know. Um, and so reconciliation. And then, you know, we do it through written, spoken, and media content. So we know we want to write books. We travel and we speak. And then we also have a podcast called The Way We See It. So Right on. We'll check that out. If you're listening today, check out that podcast for yeah. sure. We're so grateful to have you on here and just, just sharing what the Lord's revealed to your heart and the conviction that you have to, to really challenge people to step out of sometimes those ruts that we can be stuck in, um, whether it's, you know, generationally or just, just kind of where we're at in the culture um, to challenge that mindset um, and the importance of it. And so as we kind of wrap up today, Alex, would you be willing to just pray for all those that are listening today and just, just for a challenge to our hearts for, to be used by God. Absolutely. Lord, we just thank you for um, just this opportunity we have, Lord. And nothing happens by accident. You have ordained this moment um, before time even began God, for Nate and I to be sitting here having this discussion for every person to be listening to this. Lord, um, I believe that if you're born, God has a plan for your life. And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every person, every leader listening to this, every everyone, Lord, that they start to realize that you do have a plan. And wherever they are on the journey, helping them discover that plan, to realize that plan. Mm-hmm. And, and their purpose is to be used by you, Lord. God, you give us gifts and abilities and talents um, to be used by you, Lord, and, and you give them to us. And, and then, God, you want us to, in turn, um, to work those and to, to hone them, to, to develop those talents, those giftings and those abilities so that we can do more for your kingdom. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person that's listening to this, Lord, that they're taking what you've given them, that they're doing the hard work of um, becoming a better leader, a better, um, God, um, just use of your time and energy and and help them to do what you've called them to do. Expand their territories. Bless them to spread your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Alex, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for joining us this time on the Leading Life Change podcast. We'll catch you in the next one.